Hello and welcome to Succeed Through Speaking, the place for experts and entrepreneurs who want high-value ideas to boost business results. Hi, I'm Tom Bailey and in today's Speaker Stories episode, I'll be getting to know Adam Markell, who is best-selling author, keynote speaker, workplace expert and resilience researcher who inspires leaders to master the challenges of massive disruption. So Adam, hello and a very warm welcome to today's episode. Hey Tom, it's good to be here. Very good to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining and just to have interest for all of our listeners, whereabouts in the world are you right now? I sort of trade time between Martha's Vineyard, this little mm-hmm. island off of Cape Cod, and uh, San Diego, California. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I just want to just share a little bit more about you before we do get started. So Adam is author of the number one Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Los Angeles Times, and publishers weekly bestseller, Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. And his most recent book is called Change Proof. Leveraging the power of uncertainty to build long-term resilience. So, Adam, as well as being a best-selling author, I know you're an awesome, incredible keynote speaker, and that's really where I want to play today around that topic of speaking. Sure. So, my first question for you today is: How important do you think public speaking has been for you in your career to date? Um, I mean, in my current career, it's been it's been the most important mm-hmm. thing. So I'll say for the last 15 years or so, it has been the most important thing in my career. I love what Warren Buffett says about Mm -hmm. public speaking or about speaking as as in, in, in its entirety. He says the most important skill you can have in business. That's Warren Buffett. So he's arguably the most uh, successful investor of our day and um, is a widely listened to watch public communicator himself. So Mm -hmm. I think when when somebody like that says that it's worth it's worth paying attention. Absolutely, and I guess just just prior to those fifteen years of, of I guess being a, a keynote speaker, how important was speaking for you in your earlier career as well? I was sort of terrified. Yeah, <laughs> publicly, I yeah. was a lawyer, so part of okay. my career, career journey has been that I spent eighteen years in the practice of law in New York yeah. and in New Jersey, and for the most part, when I would get up in court. I would have butterflies. I think people often do that, mm-hmm. have those butterflies. And as soon as I would get going, get started, you know, sort of the butterflies would disappear a bit, but it was agony, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And and is there a particular memory right back to the beginning? It might've been at university or college or that first time you had to stand up and speak in front of a live audience. Can you remember what, what that was and what it felt like at the time? I do. I, I remember what it was like, and it wasn't back uh, that far. But I just remember being in a in an audience. Again, it was a courtroom audience, and it was a gallery filled with very, very experienced attorneys. And I had a very seasoned adversary and a judge who'd been on the bench for a number of years. And when I got up, I was just I was I could barely put words together. It yeah, was, it was pretty pretty embarrassing, mm-hmm. and I got pretty well shellacked that day. Yeah. <laughs> slice, slice to ribbons. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is that after that did happen, it was several weeks later that I had to be back in court. I was a bit more ready, prepared mm-hmm. myself for it, and came out quite a bit better than the right. first, which wasn't saying much, but it was definitely an improvement. Yeah. So I guess what you know now after having been a keynote speaker for so long, what's that one piece of advice you'd have given to a, a young Adam back in that courtroom? What, what do you think that advice might have been for him? 
Well, I mean, because our our company, I do a lot of keynotes speaking mm-hmm. all around the world, and that's both in person and virtual. And yeah. our company literally trains other people to be keynote speakers mm-hmm. or to get on a TED stage or things like that. And often it's uh, it's founders of startup companies that are looking to communicate more effectively, a la what Warren Buffett said, if you want to raise capital, if you want to onboard new talent or attract new talent, if, if you want to sell, <laughs> this yeah. is almost something yeah. more important than the, the enrollment conversation, then you really have to master this kind of thing. Um, and the advice that I give everybody that we train is simply this, it can't be about you and and it's subtle and may seem like oh I've, some maybe heard that before or something, but we 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 drill it to a to a pretty decent depth. I think that before you're about to speak, whether it's in a virtual setting like the one we're in right now, or you're going to be on stage live in front of people, you really have to go inside, even if it's for just ten seconds. Yeah. To remember that it's it's not about me, it's about them. It's That's about that. it's about your audience. And there's a, a phrase that we we borrow uh, that we learned some years ago called it's a Om Namaha is the is the expression, um, and and it loosely translates to it's not about me, um, and I think it it permeates everything you do on stage when you think that you have to perform or you're you must uh, people must like you or prove you or. Uh, the feeling that you'll be humiliated or that you'll mm-hmm. be judged, all that stuff is of the ego. Yeah. And, and to be a very effective communicator and impactful speaker, someone that that can really move audiences, whether they're small or very, very large audiences. I've spoken, I think the largest audience was probably 14,000 people mm-hmm. when we were in China and we were mm-hmm. doing some some shows with Tony Robbins at the time. And, you know, it it... It has to be that I'm there in service. And yeah. if, I, if I'm willing to open myself up in that way, whether it's to open my heart, to mm-hmm. be more of a presence on stage than a pretense, things will go right yeah. all the time. Yeah. I mean, they will literally go right no matter what. I've fallen getting on stage. I mean, literally walked upstairs to trip as I'm being introduced and the music is playing and there's a huge, massive audience. And I've literally gotten on stage falling uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and and all of that has worked out fabulously well and i mean made tens of mistakes other than that but when you're coming from the right place truly mm-hmm. you can correct your course without even trying in fact the yeah. course gets corrected by by the 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 way that you are managing the energy in that room and Love that's that. from a place of service as opposed yeah. to a place of of ego great and i, and I guess my backstory and a lot of people we speak to is they have this fear of public speaking and it really comes down to that same point of it's what am I going to look like what will I sound like what will the audience think of me and what am I doing with my hands how am I standing and it's, we're putting the spotlight on ourselves but we should absolutely turn the spotlight into the audience and just think how much value can I add to this audience and it doesn't really matter what I look like or sound like or you know or what, how I'm being it's actually just asking them Yes, I mean, it sounds sounds funny, but mm-hmm. the, the question is there: if there's a conversation, if there's a relationship that you've established, mm-hmm. then, then people want to help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they really, they want to see you succeed. Believe it or not. So you've mentioned literally tripping up on on stage. And um, have there been any other big speaking disasters or failures or lessons learned that you've had along the way that you'd like to share with the audience? 
I mean, there's been too many to count. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't know that I would call any of them disasters, no. just just mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like you, you to be successful in, in any industry, but I'll just, because this isn't yeah. that I know quite well, um, you have to be willing to, to practice and practice and practice and get feedback. And hopefully you're able, you have a process for getting feedback from people that are also bought into that process yeah. for feedback. And when you do that, there's, there's almost no cap on the improvement that you could see in your, in your capacity to do these things. Um, we have a very simple, again, when we, when we train someone, especially to be a TEDx speaker, because that is a very difficult task mm-hmm. to, to get an idea that, uh, that you can chunk down, that you can create a through line of one single idea that, that is developed to a, a great depth in 18 minutes or less. And sometimes mm-hmm. TED Talks these days are 12 minutes or they're yep. eight or nine minutes. So they can be even shorter form uh, than, than a traditional TED Talk. But when, when we're working on those things, uh, we, we teach people a feedback system, which I don't mind sharing with your folks right now, which is what works for me what doesn't work for me? What could be done differently? Mm. And often what we'll do is we curate a group of sort of 10 to 12 people who are mm-hmm. all going to work on their, their very, very different TED Talks, but they're mm-hmm. going to work on them together over yeah. about a three-month period virtually. And they're constantly being drilled with this particular feedback loop that we use so that once you've gotten sort of 50 different pieces of feed, you know, in, in the the words that often people will say a critique when mm-hmm. they've gotten 50 critiques of their, their script and of their talk and of their delivery mechanics for that talk. But it's in the format of what worked for me, what didn't work for me, what could be done differently. They've gotten so used to getting this feedback in a way that doesn't threaten them. Your feedback. And I think this is an important distinction. And I learned this from a, an old mentor of mine. It's supposed to be something that gives to you. It's yes. a gift to you. Yeah. Whereas the way many people deliver, quote, feedback, it's like you're stealing something from mm. someone. You're taking something away, like their self-esteem, for example. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why people, when you say, hey, can I give you some feedback? Somebody's like, yeah, I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather like have needles in my, in my <laughs> yeah. you know, eyes than to get your feedback. Thank you yeah. so much. Uh, because they've learned that to get a critique from probably school days, early mm. school days, isn't very pleasant. And, yeah. and that's where we have to shift it because if you're somehow opposed to feedback, you resist it in any way, shape or form, then you're put, there is a ceiling on just how much growth you can, you can attain. Yeah. Perfect. Love and that. And I think any, that's in any area. Yeah, of course. And I guess, um, back to those people that are just starting out, they're maybe a little bit, a little bit scared. Um, we almost wait until we're perfect before we get started, but that's never going to work um, in, in that way. So you have to have that amateur phase when you're going out there practicing, delivering small presentations in front of small audiences, make mistakes and, you know, know that's okay because you're going to learn, aren't you, from every time you make, make a big mistake like that. Yeah. I mean, I have a one-year-old grandson. I mm-hmm. literally just turned one a couple of days ago and, you know, he's fallen all over the place. Yeah. If he was concerned about, how how perfectly he was starting to walk he probably would never even no, try exactly he yeah. walk so i think it's a good example just to, as you put it you know you have to have those give yourself a break mm, yeah <laughs> a little yeah. kinder a little gentler with yourself that that you're going to suck at something at the beginning 
Yeah. Are you are you courageous enough? And there is courage mm-hmm. involved in this. You're courageous enough to to be to to suck at it for a little while, yeah. long enough to be able to learn some things so that you can get better and better and better. And you will see over time this sort of exponential curve, you know, the mm-hmm. compounding effect on mm-hmm. your willingness to just be humble and, yeah. and humility and all and, this. And you can have some fun in the process as well. Oh, you're gonna have a ton of fun. Yeah. So so taking it, I guess, a step forward. So these people that's just starting out. And um, what about those people that want to break through from, I've been doing a bit of speaking, I've been getting some gigs, but I'm not yet making any money from it. I'm not yet getting paid to speak. Yeah. What's the advice to transition from a, a speaker to a paid keynote speaker? Reach out to me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> make, make an appointment to talk. Yeah. No, I'll say this. The, the biggest transition, honestly, um, there's there's a transition of mindset mm-hmm. and then there's a tra- transition of, of skill set yeah. and yeah. and tools resource. Yeah. So on a mindset side, a lot of people just do not actually think they're worthy and we we could dive into that for hours and we won't mm-hmm. do that now. Uh, but a lot of people don't really at their core believe that they're worth more than $1000 or $1500 for one of their for, yeah. for an hour of their talk time. Yeah. And that's nonsense. And I I mean I'm not going to play the game of 10xing, you know, like mm-hmm. the way things sometimes make it that simple. But yeah. the truth is that most people could get paid anywhere between ten dollars and $15,000 for a good talk. Yeah. Now, not at the very start. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one wants to be a, a fraud. Nobody wants to feel like they're that they're selling something that's not worth what what they're charging or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But in part, what keeps people stuck in in a lower range to begin with is their mindset. Yeah. The second thing is skill set. And that is really developing a very, very good talk. Mm-hmm. And I mean everything from a, a, a killer slide deck that mm-hmm. goes along with it, a very tight group of, of ideas and, and the way that you, you structure those ideas and deliver those ideas so that they're not just... And I don't, again, not not to sort of uh, poke fun at, at mm-hmm. past... Uh, things that were considered conventional wisdom but you know that old adage about something like you know tell them what you're going to tell them and tell them and then tell them how what you told them it's it's bullshit that's that's that people see that coming Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to feel like they're back behind a desk in school because for most people their early school experiences were not excellent teaching experiences I've yeah, spoken to enough people to be able to make that generalization. I know mm-hmm. it wasn't the case for me. Yeah. Um, so you just don't want to model those bad habits. So skill set is vitally important. And then there's resources. And that means how do you build a speaking business? Well, it's like any other business that involves marketing, that involves a, a tremendous amount of astute work on, on online mm-hmm. with, yeah. respect your, with respect to your website, with respect mm-hmm. to SEO and SEM and things like that. And like I said, you know, if people are interested in finding out more about those those three buckets, uh, they could certainly reach out to me. Amazing. And I'm always happy to chat with people, even you know, without charge, just awesome. to give them our thoughts. Thank you so much. And um, and I've got a quite recently topical question. And um, we obviously went into a global pandemic not not that long ago. Um, and the speaking world, I guess, stopped, or some people thought it had stopped. So, how did you personally transition during this period? And and I guess, what learnings have we taken from the pandemic in in the world of public speaking? That's such that is literally a brilliant question to be asking because we're not out of a pandemic and the the changes uh, that started at the start, maybe March of 2020 um, are still permeating Mm -hmm. right now. They're still percolating and and things are still changing. So 
the business did stop. I would say it stopped on a dime. Yeah. In that month of March and in that month of April and even a little bit of May when it came to sort of just the gigs that people had booked were all canceled yep. or were suspended or mm-hmm. were postponed. That happened across the board. You know, travel was shut down and that's how people were speaking back then. Yeah, um, We were using Zoom. Our company had was kind of early adoption on Zoom back in 2016. Nice. So we were familiar with that platform and we immediately just started to put content out without charging for mm-hmm. it. And I was making videos and sending them out, putting them on YouTube, publishing them. Um, doing summits. We we did a few virtual summits at the time, yeah. invited some other people to come and join us. We did like a nine hour long live summit nice. early in April. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell people to see that there were going to be opportunities that were going to come out of the disruption. I think we hadn't booked a gig, a virtual, a paid virtual gig until June. Mm-hmm. So literally yeah. between sort of March and I don't know when we booked that gig, maybe we booked it in May or something when People, organizations had finally come to the conclusion, oh, we're not just going to come right out of this. Mm-hmm. Like, even though we were hearing, oh, it'll all be good by May, you yeah. know, we'll just wait until then and wait and see. And when we got to May and everything was closed down and still looked like months and months more, uh, there were organizations that said, yeah, we've got to get together with our people. I, I love corporate gigs. My the brand is very much around resilience and resilience mm-hmm. training, et cetera. Yeah. This recent book, Change Proof, came out in February, uh, This just this past year, 2022, very big bestseller and um, all about how we leverage uncertainty mm-hmm. and all the unknowns to become change proof. And, okay. and secret ingredient there uh, is is no no surprise here is yeah. resilience, right? I'm wearing an I am resilient mm-hmm. t-shirt today. I love so, it. Um, so it, for us, it was, we booked that first gig, we realized from our standpoint, we were going to be doing virtual work for the near future, for the indefinite future, in fact. Mm-hmm. And we booked a lot of virtual gigs toward the end of that uh, first year of COVID. And then we booked more gigs in the second year of COVID than we had booked in the year before COVID. Right. I'll say that again. Love it. We booked more gigs in the second year of COVID than in the year prior to COVID. Yeah, so when I hear speakers say that they they were sidelined for you know two years or something, or that that was the prevalent wisdom that you mm. wouldn't be able to speak or get, you know, uh, just we knew it wasn't true. Yeah, we know it's not true even today. Yeah, love that. And so, and I guess so. Now, are we back to where we were pre-COVID, or are we in a hybrid world? Like, like what's happening now, and and what will happen over the next few years in in, in your kind of your estimation? Oh well, you're really giving me a lot more credit. <laughs> here so (laughs) we are in a hybrid mode for sure i don't i don't personally think based on just everything that's inside is telling me that we will ever go back to just 100 percent ever again Mm -hmm. i mean to put on a virtual event is about 70 percent less cost than to put on a live event or an in-person event and we have to get together in person. People want to get together in person. There are some associations, for example, that their members said, from this point forward, we don't want to see any virtual. Mm-hmm. Like they're done with virtual. Yeah. At least right now. So there'll be some groups that will not go back. Uh, there will be many, many groups, companies and associations, et cetera, that will be virtual and 
in person mm-hmm. in a combo of mm-hmm. some sort. Sometimes it's in person and they're live streaming to an outside yeah. audience that still doesn't feel comfortable traveling, et cetera. Um, and I think that that's going to continue. And that, that option will be with us for yeah. the indefinite future, which Agreed. is great, great news, especially for people who are just getting started in the industry. Yes. I'll quickly give you an example of why, because mm-hmm. when, when we work with folks who are just getting started, they say, well, you know, one of their biggest concerns is how do I break into an industry that has a lot of speakers already that have been speaking for a very long time and I am new and, and I don't have anything, you know, to show. I say, well, you couldn't have been any luckier than mm. to be starting up this business in COVID era. Mm. Because the fact of the matter is many of the assets that we now can create for people with people to get them speaking gigs, meaning assets like a, a demo reel, for example, yeah. biggest thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can create using virtual platform and, and the audiences of the people that would be consuming that, the people who are buying that that virtual training, that virtual speaking gig, um, they see that virtual asset as something that's relevant. Yes. It's yeah. state of the art. Mm-hmm. Whereas before COVID, if you tried to come in with a demo reel that was all based on you in front of a screen kind of thing, mm-hmm. you'd be like, this is, what is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah timing-wise, great time to get in this industry. Awesome. Thanks so much for all your advice and guidance as well. So I guess one last question for me before before we close is, and um, if anybody wants to work with you to develop their TED Talk or anything to do with speaking at all, or in fact, book you as a speaker, what's the best place to get in touch with you? That's really easy. AdamMarkell.com. AdamMarkell.com is the simplest place to find all those assets I was mentioning, including mm-hmm. demo reel, et cetera. And people that that want to themselves just sort of, because I my my goal overall is to see people develop greater resilience. And you yeah. have to be tremendously resilient <laughs> to be yeah. to be on stage, whether you're a Broadway, yeah. you know, actor or you're a, a rock star or you're mm-hmm. a public speaker, whatever it might be, uh, or you're just raising capital <laughs> for yeah. your new venture, right? Yeah. Um, so you have to be tremendously resilient. Folks can go to rankmyresilience.com, rankmyresilience.com, and in three minutes, take an assessment that will help them know very quickly how resilient they are mentally, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. Through okay. Literally three minutes, they'll get their results. And it's entirely free as well. Amazing. What I'll do as well, Adam, is I'll, I'll post links to both of those in the show notes as well. So people can just click on them and they can dive in and find out more. Love it. So thank you so much again for your time today. I really appreciate you coming along and sharing, again, such great value with our audience. Thank you, Tom. <laughs>